This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. I'm a speaker and author and an executive coach, and today I am just delighted to welcome Barbara Rosenblatt to the show. Barbara, welcome. Well, hello. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for asking me. Oh, my goodness. I'm really excited about our conversation. You are an extraordinary actor, uh, spanning television, film, and theater. You're also a well-known audiobook narrator. But I'd love to dive in, because you and I share a common denominator in the world of the arts, and I'd love to talk about your entrepreneurial journey as a performing artist, Barbara, but if you can set up this global audience so they have a little background about you before they they read the show notes, how did you break into the performing arts? (laughs) I think I started with my mother. I was one of her finest productions, I like to think. Um, Hello, global audience. Uh, I I have always um, led toward performance one way or another, whether for a fee or not. Um, I was in the choir in my Hebrew school as I was growing up. Um, I said prayers in the classroom, not because I could sing them better than most folk, but because it was performance. I remember the first day I understood that showbiz was for me. Can I tell you that story? Please, I would be delighted. I was in third grade, Mrs. Askew's class. She was teaching social studies. And I was sitting there, and we all had texts in our hands, great big thick books on social studies. Remember those? And there was a picture uh, in the middle of the book uh, of a Douglas fir tree. And she was talking about Douglas fir trees. Why this stays in my head, I have no idea. But she said to me, Barbara, would you like to get up and read these paragraphs related to this tree? I said, sure. And so I'm nine. And I got up and I took this book and I held it open before me as though as though it were a Bible and I was about to espouse liturgically. And I started to speak about the Douglas fir tree. I had no idea what I said about it. All I can remember is this magnificent painting in the middle of the text. And then I stopped and I looked around and there you could hear a pin drop and everybody was staring at me with interest. And I thought, oh, I've discovered show business. <laughs> <laughs> that warms my heart more than you know. Really? I absolutely love that. So let's pick that apart a little bit. Was it was it the recognition? Was that you could hear a pin drop? Was it that the attention was on you and it was a beautiful opportunity to own your confidence? I think every performer, artist, whoever it is, I, I think every human being, really, if you think about it, wants attention of some mm. kind. They want to be heard. And that's why one of the greatest deficits um, on the planet today amongst people is the lack of ability to listen, to stop, to be quiet and absorb. Um, But when I was a kid, I wanted attention, whether it was at the dinner table or at school or in the choir or anywhere. And then you find out as you get older that attention requires a little bit of thought, a little bit of focus, 
And if you want to, if you if you wish to take it further, you have to consider what the ramifications are of that activity. And so I did slowly by doing shows in high school and college, and I was in the Musical Comedy Society at City College here in beautiful New York City. And uh, I also had, for three years, a radio show, my very first, on WCCR, City College Radio, 140 on your AM dial. And if you were in exactly the right spot in a quadrant in the school, you might actually be able to pick it up. But frankly, for me, it was more fun than a bucket full of bunnies. I got to go to the theater and review plays and play show music. It was called, I thought it was rather original, Front Row Center. Um, and I had it for about three years, and it was, a, it was wonderful to do. I had more fun in the last four years of my education than all 16. Wow. Well, you can hear that buoyancy in your voice. It's, it's palpable. So I, I want to share with this audience, I mean, you're incredibly accomplished. And, and again, they'll be able to read all these details about you in the show notes. But just to, to give them a little taste, I mean, you've been in extraordinary productions, including some very popular television and films, including Homeland, Orange is the New Black, House of Cards, Little Shop of Horrors, and you know, on and on. You're extraordinarily accomplished. You and I know that with all the success also comes rejection and failure. So how did you learn to navigate that early on in your career? Because as a performer, that's part of the deal. If you choose to learn from failure, then if you think about it, every failure that comes your way, every rejection, every no, turns into an opportunity. Um, at least I think so. And, and it's come to me as I get older. When I was younger, it was all about, well, why did this happen to me? Wait a minute. No. I mean, I was absolutely perfect for this. It's awful. And then you don't realize that when one, well, some people would say when one door closes, another one slams in your face. Uh, or if you cast your bed upon the waters, it comes back very wet. That's a very negative way to think. Uh, but it took me many, many years of working both in England and in the United States to learn that every rejection, every rejection is a moment of pause and thinking and moving forward. And you have to continue moving forward. I auditioned for something the other day in my, in my, in, uh, in New York City. And uh, it was a play and I thought I was absolutely perfect for it. And the audition was absolutely brilliant and they loved me and it was great. And I left the room thinking, woohoo, even though the Screen Actors Guild is on strike, I can still do theater, man. But I didn't get it. And neither did the hundreds of other well-meaning young ladies like myself who went in there and also probably read terribly well. And was also and were also treated delightfully and didn't book the job. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And if you're going to let yourself be overcome by rejection or just the name, the word rather, if you're going to allow yourself to become overcome with the word no and rejection, whether it's from a script or a novel you're trying to write, um, whatever it is, if you're going to be overcome by it, you can't move forward. You have to find gratitude in everything. Um, and that's what I've been trying to tell the young'uns and anybody else who cares to listen. Mm, I love that story. 
So let me ask, early on in in my career, uh, a voice teacher shared that comparison is the thief of joy. And you, you just described that audition. And so many of us can absolutely picture that environment. You know, you go in, you do your reading. It, it felt extraordinary, but for whatever reason, they chose someone else. And it's so hard not to compare yourself to the person that won the role. How do you feel about yeah. that? It's it's very simplistic, isn't it, to compare yourself to other folk? Um, I used to say that the grass is always greener on the other side. and But then if you think about it, they've also got to mow the lawn. Yeah. Um, but people don't think that way. They And they tend to think, well, if they've got this, why can't I? Uh, but you're not them. You're you. And your you is your specialness, uh, your personal focused divinity, if you will. It's yours. It's who you are. And those energies that you put out are unlike anybody else's, even if you've been up for the same thing, even if you've been up for the same role, you bring a different uh, sensibility into a room. Embrace that rather than thinking, oh, why can't I be like everybody else? You know how kids usually are saying, well, he's wearing these shoes. Why can't I get them? Because they won't suit you. <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. Um, well put. Little one. And you don't know any better. And anyway, it's my wallet. Go away. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but still, um, these are things that you grow into understanding. You don't understand these things when you're younger. And uh, as a consequence, they can sometimes throw stones in your path. Um, but then when you get older and you start to understand these primal concepts, you can watch those stones slowly turn into pebbles uh, and then sand and then grit because you're walking over them and your shoes are more sensible. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Barbara, I want to segue because you mentioned Screen Actors Guild. You mentioned the strikes. You, of course, are a member of SAG, of AFTRA, and Actors' Equity, which are the unions, for those that may not know, in the performing arts industry. And it's an interesting time globally with these strikes. And I don't know if you heard this. I suspect you may have. Fran Drescher, who is a a well-known actor, uh, very famous for her role in The Nanny on American television, is the president of of SAG. And it was poignant to hear her talk and really plea on behalf of the labor who produce all this extraordinary art and how the general public doesn't understand what's happening behind the scenes. What are your thoughts about the strike and how you, as a working actor, are navigating this reality. I was on the picket line with the Writers Guild because they started their strike before we did. Yeah. Uh, and we are a sister unions. And so we stood there, you know, SAG AFTRA, Screen Actors Guild, and the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists together with the writers before we even went on strike Mm. wearing our t-shirts saying we are in solidarity with our brothers and sisters. And because, you know, it's not just about the actors and the writers, it's about makeup artists and key grips and best boys and the guys who bring in the coffee and take care of you and the drivers, the, the people, the crews, all those folk 
you know, now that the strike is over and I'm hoping hopefully we'll get in front of a camera again at some point, um, there's a lag time between yeah. the strike being agreed to and every one of us getting back to work. My agent, uh, my agents have to submit me for something. I then have to be requested to go and audition for them. Uh, they have to have a production schedule in place. I've got to earn myself a job through this process. And then, uh, and then you figure out, oh, the text has to come to me. The lines have to come to me. All this organizational stuff has to happen. So I'm not looking to work next week, but I am certainly looking forward to seeing all sorts of folk who have been sitting around suffering for months, joyously uh, reuniting on a set. Yes, yes. No, I, I'm with you 100%. And just to put that in perspective, for some of our listeners who may not understand the life uh, that we lead in the theatrical world, we're constantly auditioning for new work, even to someone of your caliber and gravitas, which is extraordinary. That is similar to an interview for someone else in another industry. So you don't have, you know, multi-year contracts in most situations. You do a job and then you seek out the next one. So it is a bit of a roller coaster. And Frankly, I am impressed with how the unions have navigated this journey to really honor the extraordinary work that is happening. I think we've had different things to deal with this time around. The last time you had a multiple strike between two major unions, uh, the Writers Guild and uh, the Screen Actors Guild, um, uh, AFTRA was not as yet part of SAG, so it was still just SAG and AFTRA. Um, the last time we had a strike like this, you know who was the president of our union? Remind me. Ronald Reagan. Oh, my gosh. Wow, that puts and it his, in perspective. Uh, his partner, Charlton Heston, Moses, he, uh, he and Ronnie... Uh, did us all a big service and uh, got us health care, got us residuals, got us all kinds of things as president of the union way back in the 60s. Wow. And uh, 20 years later, he became president and started to have issues with air traffic control uh, controllers. And, um, you know, his life changed dramatically from being a very liberal <laughs> SAG president yeah. to the Republican president that he became. But uh, yeah, we have him to thank. Wow. Barbara, we'll be right back after a quick break. I'd like to tell you about a special offer. If you want to bring your podcast to life or up your podcast game, you can get up to two months of free podcasting service with Libsyn using my special code CDHWORK. The Libsyn team will get your podcast on Apple and Spotify and give you access to critical stats and all the support you need to sound your best and grow your show. Use my special code CDHWORK. the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who will work within your budget and engage your audience. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, 
create a healthy workplace culture, or prevent burnout in your organization, I can create customized content to help you recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. Connect with me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So Barbara, I, uh, you and I have talked about this. Uh, I am a, a former opera singer. I still sing, but it's not how I earn my living. But I have always thought of myself as a performer who is also an entrepreneur because it's not enough for us to rely on our agents or our management. We have to seek opportunities out and build and steward relationships. So what are your thoughts about performing artists also needing to be entrepreneurial? Well, I think you need more than one feather in your cap because part of the strike that was not affected were uh, the Screen Actors Guild fight were audiobooks. So people like me who have recorded, oh, I'd say a little over 600 audiobooks in my career, um, got to still do wonderful audio work. Um, and I have a couple of friends talk about entrepreneurs. My goodness, Rich Fish and Tom Duclin <laughs> are uh, friends of mine, Rich especially, because we've done audio programs together, radio theater, radio drama. He's an amazing guy. And they've, they've written a series of books um, without even seeking out a publisher. They just had a calling to do a series of books for young adults called the uh, the Amber Knight series, um, and it's all about climate change. But it involves time travel mm -hmm. and science and kids and um, and and uh, mega businesses and uh, trying to trying to ruin their lives and an orb with special powers. I mean, it's amazing. And they've written all these books, and they said to me, Barbara. You know, um, you should think about, we'd really love it if you would record these. And I started to read them. Um, and I thought, this all takes place in 2042. Um, uh, and there, it's a bunch of kids who want to who want to keep certain elements from controlling the weather. Because if you control the weather, you control the world. And it's very, very prescient for this period. So I'm hoping at some point that we're actually going to be able to lay down the tracks for these things. Uh, the series is called Amber Night and the Eye of Penumbra. That's book one. Um, but the writing is breezy, sci-fi. It's beautifully written. They're fun characters, and they, they also have a purpose. And I love when smart, intellectual folks like Rich Fish and Tom Dukeman have a purpose and a focus, but but it's all laid over with craft. Beautifully said. And full transparency, you and I know Tom and Rich together through different uh, experiences throughout our life and career. Tom and I have worked together. He has been my audio engineer and producer recording two of my books, and he's an absolute gem. And I know you and Rich oh, go yeah. way back. So I'm grateful to them that they brought you and I together. Let's talk about what preparation looks like for an audiobook when, you know, it's it's a little different than than reading a script for a play or a movie or a television show. So how is that preparation different? Or is oh, it's it very different? different. It's a very different craft. Uh 
one of my favorite things that I have ever recorded. I recorded this year, believe it or not. And it was a book called uh, Harold and Maude. You might remember a movie way back in 1970 with Ruth Gordon yes. and Bud Court yeah. uh, with music by Cat Stevens. It was a cult film. I had no idea it was a novel, uh, but apparently it was by Colin Higgins. And um, and so my agents called me up and asked if uh, would I record the thing? And I said, sure, in a heartbeat. It's not very long. It's only about four hours of listening. But again, the time is taken. You set up your 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 hours at a studio. You make sure you know who the producer is and your your engineer is in place. And then you have to start the prep. And I do the prep because I play all the characters. And then there are all these wonderful voices I get to use and dialects that I get to use in Harold and Maud. Um, and I was preparing for it, but you don't like to prepare for it too far in advance because if you do you lose those um that sense of how do i put this audio immediacy when you get in front of the Ooh. microphone so that there's a freshness that's there every time you introduce a new character and it doesn't feel stale at any point in the recording process which is so important because it's very different than performing in front of a live audience or even being in a studio for a television show. I mean, you're staring into a microphone with a book mm. on a stand. So it is a, a different a different muscle to flex. That's true. I mean, I, I just did the, the series finale of Better Call Saul, which, was, uh, which yeah. aired this year. And uh, I played... Um, well, I'm not going to tell anybody what I played, but it's the big mic drop moment in the end of Better Call Saul. And there you are, and you're only responsible for your relationship with whoever it is you're talking to, in this case, the star, uh, on this TV show. And you only have to play this one character, and that's all I had to think about. So my connection mm -hmm. with the director and the star were key, and I was able to focus beautifully over the three days we shot this because uh, it was a long scene. And, uh, but when you do an audiobook, you are virtually everybody. Yeah. And so when you're everybody, um, you have to really be paying attention to yourself and your energy. And hopefully if you're working with an engineer who respects what you do, your collaborator, um, and they will work with you. Uh, to make sure that you are stable with each character so that every time they come up again, they are consistent so your listener knows who they're listening to at any given moment. It's such a wonderful process. There's nothing like recording an audiobook. Mm, I can I can hear the, the excitement in your voice. Mm -hmm. So I want to pull a thread there, Barbara, because you talked uh, just a moment ago about how it took three days to shoot one scene. Uh, and that's a reality of, of the performing arts being taxing, tiring. How do you honor your work-life integration and your wellness to stay fit? Because if, if you're sick, it, it impacts your voice. It impacts yeah. your presence. So how do, you, how do you stay fit and healthy? Well, I, I mostly rely on, well, bourbon, cigars. There you go. There you, know. you go. <laughs> Those are my go-tos. It kill, kills all bacteria. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. Except I do keep them out of my recording space um, because the smell just won't go away. 
Um, drink fluids. You got to drink fluids. You also need to keep yourself out there and always learning and listening. I go to a trivia night uh, here in New York City at a little bar on the Lower East Side every Tuesday with a whole bunch of NYU grads. Oh, fun, fun. <laughs> and they are terrific. They teach me so much and I have a blast with all of them. Uh, and you've got to keep your mind open and listening uh, because if you learn how to listen, you will be so much better at addressing life's little annoyances. Mm, well said. So, Barbara, as we as we bring this show to a close, and my goodness, I could talk to you all day, but I want to honor your time and our our listeners. What advice do you have for those listening who are also considering a career in the arts? Because it's tough. It is not an easy road. What would you offer them? Well, look how many different arts are available to you. Anything that, that allows you to... Um, play, uh, and I mean adult play or child play, something that results in a thing that gives you pleasure. What could that be? A poem, a pie, a perfect baseball game, uh, a wonderful scarf. These are all art forms, every one of them, and they involve focus, listening, and collaboration. Whatever it is you do, Whatever you do, find pleasure in it and be grateful for it. Mm, and that is a mic drop moment, my friend. What a joy to have you on the show. I am deeply grateful. And of course, we're going to include all of the great information about the eye of Penumbra and that incredible uh, audiobook that you were recording with Tom and Richard. So stay tuned for more information about that. But Barbara, I want to deeply thank you for joining me today. I learned a lot from you, and I'm grateful for our time together. It was delightful. Thanks so much. And goodbye, global audience. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, my friend. And you take good care. You as well. Your Working Life is now available on all major podcast platforms, and I'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review. New listeners will be able to find us online when you do that. And a special shout out to my extraordinary podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 34 countries. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.